Welcome, everyone, to the next edition of BAMS Radio. Alabama now 1-0 on the season uh, as they, uh, I guess, methodically is the best way to put it. Uh, they methodically dispatch of the Duke Blue Devils 42-3 to uh, inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. The first thing is the injury report. I know everybody is going to want to know that. Looks like they came out relatively unscathed, though backup offensive lineman Emil Echior did suffer a slight knee sprain in the second half. Uh, he's going to be out one to two weeks for Alabama. But uh, Xavier McKinney did have a wrap uh, on his hand in practice, but I was told that's not considered serious at all. Didn't hinder him in preparation. And he had a game-high eight tackles for Alabama. Big fourth down stop on a crossing pattern. Really played well, I thought. Uh, so uh, it looks like Alabama came out of it, you know, uh, uh, with the, you know, it's about as good as you could hope. Jerry Judy suffered some cramps, but he's fine. He had 10 catches, uh, put on a show, 137 yards and a touchdown to a tongue of Iloa picked right off, uh, you know, up where he uh, left off last season from the standpoint of when he's healthy, when he's been healthy, he's been really good. 26 of 31, 336 yards, four touchdowns, did get sacked one time. Uh, but I, I thought the offensive line, for the most part, in the in the in pass protection, did a nice job. Now run blocking, a little bit of a different story. Uh, they it's, uh, we predicted there was discipline for the four young men. Uh, it turned out Brian Robinson, Najee Harris, uh, Devontae Smith, and uh, Terrell Lewis all took off the first quarter. Uh, but they all immediately impacted the game when they got into the second quarter. So we'll start breaking it down. I'm Drew Nyarm, and of course I'm with Thomas Watts. Uh, who's the wizard behind the curtain, the producer of this show and co-host, and then our third cohort from 89 to 93, a member of the University of Alabama and a 1992 national champion, William Redfish Barger. William, good to have you again tonight. How are you this evening? Doing good, Drew. Hope you and Thomas, uh, both and your, and your families, had good uh, holiday weekends. Yeah, we do. Certainly did. Well, Hope you had a chance to have I, a nice Labor Day. And go ahead, Thomas. I have to say, I just got back from tubing my high school freshman cousin and some of her little friends, and I was completely unaware of how complicated so- social interactions are for 14-year-olds. Yeah. I need to go back to fixing computers because that stuff is easy. Or maybe I'll just break down some film. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas, the first question is, how's the uh, how's the weather in Mobile, man? We know that. Hurricane Dorian's a big concern uh, in a lot of the southeast. Well, it's it's all right. Uh, I've been out on the water obviously all afternoon, and there were there was enough wind where it was kind of choppy. But we're not going to get anything but some wind coming over. You know, I, I would, I don't think I would go sailing unless you're really really good at it. But for folks that are kind of daredevils and have little sunfish and know what they're doing, you can go real quick across the water. But I mean, overall, we'll be fine. You know, it's ironic. One of my best friends is um, lives in Charleston, South Carolina, and I've been talking to him a lot. So he's in the middle of all the military preparations, and they're going pretty hardcore up there. But, you know, down here, we're fine. Just some wind. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, I have a friend that lives in Charleston as well with his wife. I need to check on them. Uh, sounds like they're going to have to evacuate. Uh, that's what they're wanting you to do and. the uh, in the city of Charleston, but they're used to this. It's uh, they call it low country for a reason. It's uh, just like New Orleans. It's uh, it's uh, unfortunately when the weather uh, turns this way, uh, the the uh, the it's a very high probability you can get flooded. So we pray for all those folks and that they're going to be okay. But uh, it certainly has been ravaging the Bahamas, uh, and it's kind of stuck there right now. But we'll continue to monitor that. 
But let's get back to the University of Alabama. 42 to three winners, uh, as we said. Uh, I thought a good performance from Alabama's defense. I thought they looked well coached. Uh, you know, I thought they tackled well. And William, I wanted to bring you in uh, to, to first of all, I guess the the pressure points we all talked about was the freshman inside linebackers. Both the true freshmen gets to get the start. Shane Lee with six tackles, Christian Harris with six tackles. What were your thoughts on how they performed in game one? Oh, I thought they played great. Um, you know, both of them finished in the in the top five tacklers on the defense. Um, you know, I thought you could see, you know, kind of what, um, you know, both of them were billed as coming in. I thought they both, uh, you know, did well in coverage. Um, you know, you can really see Christian Harris's athleticism. Um, you know, I, I still think Shane Lee is, uh, um, you know, a force to be reckoned with between the tackle boxes as a run stopper, but he, he showed a lot more athleticism than I thought he had. Uh, you know, dropping into pass coverage, you know, several times. Yeah, I thought the linebackers and the DBs um, as groups really kind of um, led that defense. Um, you know, the defensive line was was a little lethargic at times, didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, um, you know, let some runs get away from them. But I thought when, when Duke, um, you know, went to that triple option look, I thought Lee and Harris, you know, I'm sure they didn't prepare for that at all, but I thought they both responded really well. Um you know, but I really thought that secondary um, was all over the place. Um, obviously, Xavier McKinney had a great game, but I um, was real pleased with the defense overall. Um, you know, I realize it's Duke, but, um, you know, th that is the same ball club last year that went to a bowl game and, you know, gave Clemson all they wanted last year. I think it was 14-6 to at halftime last year. Um, so, you know, maybe we didn't give those guys enough credit. I know, Drew, you and I both missed the – uh, offensive point production total by about 20 points apiece. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll jump on over to that side of the ball. I was I was very disappointed in the offense in the first half. I thought the running backs and the offensive line um, underperformed bigly, um, especially you know in the running game. Um, you know you had Jerome Ford with that ridiculous fumble. Um, and, uh, you, you know, I, I thought they kind of got it going there in the second half, but was, you know, expecting a more um, dominant performance out of them in the first half. And I know it's the first game, and it'll probably look a lot different against New Mexico State or whoever the hell they're playing this weekend. Um, but, you know, I was a little bit disappointed. I was I was kind of sitting there scratching my head a little bit at, at the half. But, um, you know, overall, it was, it was a solid game. I was glad that uh, – um, Coach Saban, you know, put two on the bench after the third quarter and let Mac Jones get in there and, you know, get comfortable. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the uh, uh, the cramping issue that Jerry Judy had. And, uh, you know, it was a much bigger issue in the, the Auburn-Oregon game. I'm kind of confused as to how these kids are having cramping issues playing indoors in the air conditioning. But um, that, that kind of surprised me in both games, to be honest with you. But, um you know, overall, I thought it was a solid performance. Um, you know, Tua was very accurate. I thought he did a great job getting the ball to Waddle and Jerry Judy. And um, I loved the play design on the uh, um, bootleg touchdown pass to Devonta Smith. I thought that was very well conceived. So, uh, you know, a lot of positives, a lot of stuff to build on. You know, I think the best news is they came out of it, you know, pretty much injury-free and, um, you know, got back to – 
you know, game plan in this, you know, today in practice, and hopefully they'll make it through the rest of the week without any further injuries. Well, and uh, I also wanted to say, too, uh, uh, you know, it concerned me a little bit also with the running game. And that Coach Cutcliffe, they're well coached on both sides. They had eight starters turn on defense. They, they started Jerome Ford, as we said, they very likely would. And, of course, they, they immediately uh, did a delayed blitz, and he whiffed on a block. So he struggled early with his pass pro. And then, as you said, he had the fumble. You can't have that. I thought he responded, though. He got the 37-yard the touchdown later in the game. I think he'll be fine once he settles down. I think he was probably nervous. We only saw Keelan Robinson toward the end of the game for a couple of carries. Um, you know, I thought Najee looked a little hesitant. I think he needs to start north and south. I, I thought he was dancing too much. Agree. Uh, Brian Robinson didn't really – we didn't get to see a lot of him. I thought he did a couple of good things. I thought he was nice. I thought it was interesting on the goal line. I thought they, they, they seemed to be trying to, uh, you know, carve out a role with him there. Uh, but I also thought it was interesting, William, that they had Ale Keho at, uh, at fullback. Yeah, absolutely. That was a nice little wrinkle that, that I certainly hadn't seen or heard about before and, um, you know, proved to be real effective down there in the red zone. And, you know, I think that's going to be as the, as the season unfolds, you know, certainly the, the 2019 team um, shouldn't have any trouble becoming more effective than last year's team was in the red zone, although it was most of the time self-inflicted. And, you know, I, I guess we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the field goal kicking. Yeah. Huh. Um, or should we just skip that all together? Well, I, I'll say this. I don't mean to interrupt, but I thought he hit them both really well. They didn't look like knuckleballs. They had really good height and distance. He had, you know, a few inches to the inside on both. He makes two long kicks. I don't have a big problem missing 50 and 48 yarders. I mean, I, I when I start having a problem is when you're going from 30 to 40 yards and in and you're not making them consistently. I thought, you know, or I think you'll point. See, yeah, yeah, there you go. He but he boot. That's why he got a game ball from me. He made all the extra points. He and the thing that I didn't expect, William, is he handled all the kicking and punting. He was able I to. Know. I wasn't yeah, he, expecting that either. Yeah, he did a really good job kicking off. He made all the extra points. He punted and averaged forty yards. He did he did his job except for missing a couple of long field goals. So I thought for a first game it was a solid effort. We see the leg he's got. And uh, to be blunt, Alabama doesn't need to be settling for 50-yard field goals. They need to be, you know, driving the football. So, I thought for a most part, for Will Riker, it was a promising first game. Yeah, and, and I think the fact that, you know, to go into his first collegiate football game with, with having, uh, you know, all three phases, you know, on his shoulders, um, you know, you're right. I, I think he did, you know, like you, I don't have a problem with, with missing, you know, basically two 50-yard field goals. Um It'll be interesting to see how that plays out going forward. Um, but, you know, against a team like Duke, like you said, they probably shouldn't be having to attempt um, field goals of that distance anyway. So, you know, again, I think that, you know, a lot of Alabama's goals were accomplished, you know, being able to get all those young kids in, um, you know, in the fourth quarter, you know, getting to see the, you know, the first collegiate snaps from uh, Talia Tungavailoa and, you know, a lot of other – um, you know, young players, you know, certainly going to benefit this team going forward. Um, you know, they've got a chance to, to really capitalize on that during the month of September. And, um, you know, I think after the um, the North Carolina-South Carolina game on uh, on Saturday, that, that game certainly looks like uh, maybe it's not even going to quite be a tune-up for, for Texas A&M um, 
after the way they performed against a crippled North Carolina program. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, uh, it, uh, that's going to be interesting uh, to kind of follow as well. I mean, South Carolina, they they just really uh, played poorly in the second half. They lose the, in the game in Charlotte. And then it turns out that Jake Bentley's now out for a few weeks with a broken foot, so they're going to go into the – into the gunfight with Alabama with a knife in a way they're going to be, they're going to have a true freshman quarterback who's inexperienced against an Alabama defense that I thought looked really good. I thought it was really promising William because David Cutcliffe, we know they don't have athletes. Alabama does, but he, they're extremely well coached. He came in there and showed Alabama some flex bone as he put it. And then even some wing T and I thought Alabama uh, did a really nice job of adjusting and still stopping the run. Granted that Duke doesn't have, the team speed of other teams Alabama will face, but they do have two good backs. And I thought, uh, you know, at times last year, Alabama was, you know, the communication wasn't good. They would have to, it would take them a couple of series to figure things out. I thought the defense looked like on all three levels, it was on the same page on Saturday. Yeah, they did. I mean, you didn't see a lot of busted assignments and, and receivers just wanting, you know, running wide open. Um, you know, you, you saw those, those guys on the back end making a lot of plays. I know, Xavier McKinney's, you know, left a pick six out there on the field Saturday that he wished he had a do over on. But, you know, you got to really, you know, respect and admire the way that kid plays. I mean, it's it's almost like having an extra linebacker, linebacker back there on the back end, the way he plays the run and how aggressive he is in pass coverage. Just a fun guy to watch. I mean, it's almost like if you shut your eyes and change the numbers, it's like having Minka Fitzpatrick back two years later. Um, you know, I think that kid's got a, uh, um, you know, a really bright future. You know, I know one um, Alabama staff member commented over the summer that he felt like he was a top 20 draft pick, and he keeps playing like he did Saturday. He'll be more, more, more higher, you know, he'll go higher than that. So, um, you know, there's just a lot of talent back there, a lot of depth. Um, you know, again, I, I think certainly you got to put exclamation points by the way that Lee and Harris, you know, responded. Um, and certainly they got a lot of talk before the ball was kicked off about being true freshmen and being thrust into those roles. And that's kind of like we talked about last week. That's what you want to see. You know, when, when, when the guy in front of you goes down, you got to take advantage of your opportunities. And at least in game one, those, those guys really did. And I really was impressed before we start delving more into the offense. Uh, you did mention how impressive you thought Shane Lee uh, certainly Christian Harris were. I thought they were very, very impressive. I thought both of them, I was really impressed with the way Lee covered the flats and the speed that he showed. And Christian Harris, we already know what a freak athlete he is. He made some plays even in coverage as well. And I thought they tackled well. You know, there was, as you said, there wasn't a lot of missed tackles. Uh, there was a lack. The last year, there seemed to be guys running wide open. There, I think everyone was assignment sound. And then it certainly didn't take Terrell Lewis long to make his presence felt when he got back in there. Well, and I guess, you know, that that's probably the, you know, the most promising thing. I, I don't have a problem, you know, especially with a young player like those two, you know, if they're in position and, you know, they whiff on a tackle or, you know, they, they get juked or whatever. But to me, that was probably the best part of both of their performances is there weren't any just glaring mental errors. Their awareness was, was off the charts. They were where they were supposed to be. And like you said, played really assignment sound football. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it was great seeing Terrell Lewis get in there and uh, make his presence felt. Certainly you'd like to see that, that pass rush continue to improve. 
um, you know, over the next three or four ball games. You want to see more out of, you know, Anthony Jennings and, and the rest of those guys up front. I don't think they that, – that was probably, I guess, the, the one um, – I don't want to say negative, but I guess the one hiccup that I saw was they just didn't see a, you know, you didn't see that pocket gets collapsed on a constant basis. You know, even though he's playing a position where it's difficult to, you know, flash and, and make a name for yourself. I thought DJ Dale lived up to the spring practice and fall camp hype. I mean, he was, he was a very active from his nose guard and defensive tackle position. Um, so, you know, all in all, I mean, I think on the defensive side of the football, um, you know, they, they get a, you know, an A-minus from me. Well, and I, I want to mention someone else because I noticed him in there at defensive end, and then he was very active, and he ended up – I didn't realize this until I saw the stat sheet, though. We ended up with five tackles officially. Um, and I know he's played a lot of no's, but right now D.J. Dale has taken that spot. But I thought Federian Mathis gave them some really good snaps Saturday. Yeah, yeah, they did. And, you know, and I, that was one of the things that, uh, you know, we touched on when – when it looked like Dale was going to blow past him for the nose guard job, you know, A, it gives you more depth at nose guard, having a true freshman come in there and win that job. But, but you know, it also it gives, you know, Mathis a chance. You know, he's a guy, you know, I think, I think DJ Dale could play the five technique if he had to. Um, so having all those guys that have that type of versatility, I know that, you know, they've looked at, you know, before he got hurt, Stephon Wynn played out there some, certainly Christian Barmore. Um, so, you know, they've got a lot of guys, especially on the, you know, the first two, um, um, the two deep on that D line that can play multiple positions. And that's, you know, a, a, a big, big bonus going forward. You know, it's, you, you don't see, you know, Nick Saban and whoever the, uh, the current defensive line coach is for the last three or four recruiting cycles. You know, you just don't see them signing a, a Terrence Cody or a Josh Chapman. Um, anymore at that position, you know, um, all those guys can play, you know, at a bare minimum, the nose and the three and the one technique. But like you saw, um, you know, out of Mathis, most of them can slide out there and play the five as well. Yeah, they really can. And I thought overall, again, I would definitely give the defensive effort an A, holding Duke to three points. Uh, Jordan Battle with an interception late to kind of seal it. Uh, he's a young player that – I think he's going to start playing more and more as the season goes on. The one, the one thing that uh, I guess was a negative was a couple of pass interference penalties, William. But I thought that was due just to Josh Joe maybe panicking a little bit and being a young player. Because, uh, but the thing that impressed me though is, and you've already brought it up, is they weren't busts. You're in position no. to just turn and play the ball. No, I don't have a problem with that at all. That's why I didn't mention it. I thought you know all of those pass interference penalties. I mean, you know, as a um, you know, a, a defensive coach, I mean, you'd much rather see, you know, the guy give up the gimme 15-yard penalty versus the 30- or 40-yard bomb. And I, I never have a problem with that. And I, I thought, uh, for the most part, they were all, like you said, they were in position. You know, Coach Saban and Carl Scott will coach those guys up to, um, you know, get themselves in a position to make a play on the ball better than they did Saturday. But I, I've got no complaints whatsoever about anything that I saw out of the DBs. Yeah, exactly. And then, again, kicking game-wise, before we go into offense, we both were impressed with Reichert. Uh, you know, we, they didn't get an explosive return uh, this time, even though I think Waddle was close from maybe one time. And, and then he, but he, but they did a good job of directly playing. They had a hell of a punter. Uh, and then, you know, Ruggs had a nice kickoff return as well. But I think the special teams will continue to get better, no question about it. 
I guess to switch uh, to, to switch uh, sides of the ball to the offense, you already talked about how you were disappointed in the offensive line. For me, William, watching them with my binoculars, it really looked like they struggled at the center spot, Chris Owens. And I've been told, you know, in fall camp that he was the weakest link. Uh, that he, he seemed to struggle, though, at the point of attack. I know he got a holding penalty. Some said it was questionable. But in short yardage, I thought he was getting blown up, too. I thought he struggled in the pivot. Yeah, he did, and, and you know, there was, uh, you know, a couple of um, holding calls that I thought was, you know, questionable, so to speak. I mean, it wasn't like the guys got raped, but um, that's always a judgment call when, when you go to take somebody, you know, down like that. But a lot of times if you got your hands inside the shoulder framework, they'll let it go, or at least SEC officials will. Um you know, I don't have a problem with the penalties part of it. It just, you know, there seemed to be some confusion. Some, you know, guys didn't look like you saw some um, double team blocks get split at times, and um, you know, the the back end guy on the double team didn't didn't take it over the way they were supposed to. And um, you know, pass protection was good, which I expected it to be. It's not like Duke's known as a you know a pass rushing terror on their defensive line, but um, you know, it, it's it's a first game, and I think you have to keep that in mind. Um, you know, I just I was expecting, I guess, a little bit more consistency, consistency and continuity over there on the offense. I don't have a problem with, you know, the way Steve Sarkeesian called the game at all. I thought he, uh, you know, did what he wanted to do. He, he, you know, tried to establish the run. He had some explosive play calls. Um, you know, thought a lot of the play designs were, um, you know, well conceived. I'd, I'd run that same route to the tight end, whether it's Miller Forrestal or whoever else, until somebody makes me run something else. It's such probably the most difficult um, pass route for a linebacker to, uh, you know, also, you know, diagnose immediately when it starts to happen to you. And B, if you take one false step towards the line of scrimmage, you know, unless you've got a converted offensive tackle play in there, you know, the tight end's going to be by you and it's going to be wide open every time for the most part. So I'd like to see him, you know, you know, continue that going forward because it is so difficult, especially with all the formations and motions that he seems to like to employ. So, don't don't have any complaints about you know the game Steve Sarkeesian called, and uh, you know trying to keep the the disappointment level down and, and you know keep it realistic. You know, it was the first game. Um, you know, there was only one guy playing the same position that he played last year in 2018, and Jedrick Wills and. Um, maybe not even the, the, the guy that's going to be playing center or right guard, um, you know, once we get into October 1st. So there's still going to be some shuffling and experimentation there going forward, I'm sure. Yeah, I agree. And I, I just – but when I saw it, it just uh, – and saw them play as a unit. They're going to get better. We always talk about how offensive lines struggle early, usually especially at Alabama, and get rolling. But I just couldn't help but think about Cornbread, Deontay Brown, when he's, you know, back – I just can't I, – I, it's hard for me to not think that he's going to be the right guard and Dickerson go to center because Dickerson, he played with an edge, and we knew he would do that. I mean, he got their, their, their six-year senior, uh, you know, uh, uh, defensive tackle, uh, you know, th- ejected from the game by getting under his skin. There's some people saying he acted a fool. I just thought that he, he got under his skin. Dickerson's the kind of guy you can't stand him if he's on the other team, but you love him when he's on your team. And – and I think he plays with an edge, and I think him moving to center, and then uh, you know, and, and Deontay Brown moving uh, to right guard. 
this offensive line, I think, will be even more physical and even better in, in the run game. And, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, there's still three more games to go before he's back, but I still couldn't help but think about that. Oh, no. I mean, I think, uh, um, you know, you kind of got to wait and see how Dickerson responds at center in a game. But certainly, you know, having him at center and, and Neil at one guard and Deontay Brown at the other would be a, a formidable interior um you know, to go along with those two outstanding offensive tackles that they have. So um, you just got to wait and see how that thing matures and develops and comes together. I, I, you know, I did see a couple of times, um, you know, when the camera flashed over to the sideline, you saw Kyle Flood, um, you know, showing some intensity and, and, and passion over there on the sideline, which I always like to see out of the O-line coach. So um, I, I think they've got all the ingredients there for that thing to uh, – you know, kind of come together at the right time. And, and uh, you know, they really don't have to have that in place. And, and uh, in my opinion, um, have, a, have a starting five really kind of settled and set in stone until they go to College Station. Well, and William, I wanted to ask you, I know he was a true freshman. He got a holding penalty, but I thought Evan Neal played pretty well. I mean, you, you were able to start games as a redshirt freshman, but talk about this kid coming out straight out of high school. Alabama's had it happen before with Andre Smith. Cam, you know, uh, of course, Cam Robinson, uh, Jonah Williams. But how did you think he played all overall in his first game? Oh, I thought he played really well. It's it's fun to uh, – not even really – I guess fun's not the right word. It's amazing to sit there and, and watch a guy that's a legit six foot eight and probably somewhere between 350 and 360 pounds. You know, somebody that size just isn't supposed to move with the, the fluidity and the athleticism that that kid does. You know, you heard the stories about the – 38-inch box jump back in the spring. And, you know, I mean, this, this kid's, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing just to see how far he's come, you know, reshaping the body, you know, nailing down a starting job after only being on campus um, for, what, seven, eight months. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing, and the sky's the limit for him. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's already, you know, in the – the conversation with guys like you said, with you know Cam Robinson, Jonah Williams, you know Chris Samuels, you know guys guys that did it, you know from their first start, um, you know, and, and again, I mean he he's got the ability to play multiple positions on that offensive line, and you know you just want to you know pray that he keeps his health together and just keeps developing because he's going to be a special one to watch, and it's only going to be for the next three years. Yeah, and uh, and again, and I'm not trying to pile on Chris Owens. You know, I'm sure he'll get better in his second start. I just think it would make the offensive line even deeper. Uh, should Dickerson be able to handle center? And then you have Cornbread at right guard. Then you've got a guy like Chris Owens who's versatile, Matt Womack, who can play different positions. Uh, you'd have uh, Emil Echior when he comes back from injury. Uh, you'd have some quality depth there, you know, on that offensive line, no doubt about it. But uh, certainly they've got to get better in the run game. You know, Tua was pressured some, but I thought for the most part uh, they did a nice job protecting him, and he did a good job of uh, avoiding the rush. And I thought he took what the defense gave him, William. It was a very efficient 26-31 of 31, uh, for 336 yards for the uh, All-American and four touchdowns. I thought it was a very good performance. Yeah, and, you know, one thing before we move on to, to the quarterbacks, I mean, one thing that I forgot to mention about the offensive line that kind of, it concerned me at first, and then, you know, it turned out to be a, a, a bonus surprise was, uh, you know, the first time I saw Matt Womack put his helmet on and run out onto the field, I'm like, oh, God, which one of them's hurt? 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, as it turns out, you know, Sarkeesian's got him playing the, you know, the tackle over role, which I'm a big fan of on short yardage plays. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought Tua, um, you know, picked up right where he left off, uh, you know, probably, you know, before the month of December last year. He's very efficient, looked comfortable, like you said, took what the defense gave him. You know, I love the patience that he showed on, um, a couple of the Jerry Judy passes, certainly I thought it was glaring on, on the, you know, letting Devonta Smith clear all the garbage on the touchdown pass. He, he threaded that needle and threw a, threw a perfect strike. Um, you know, getting the ball to Judy and Waddle in space and letting them do their things with the ball after they caught it. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's kind of hard to find new accolades and, uh, you know, praise to reap on uh, – uh, uh, on Tua because he's already done so much in such a short time. But, um, you know, certainly, you know, with a couple more performances like that in the month of September, he'll be right smack in the middle of the Heisman Trophy talk again. Oh, he certainly will. And uh, I thought that it, it was obvious, too, after the first quarter when they went scoreless, William, that Devontae Smith is very important to that offense. Oh, absolutely. And, uh you know, I, I certainly think that, you know, albeit we talked about, you know, Najee Harris being hesitant and, you know, Brian Robinson missing the first quarter. And, you know, I think that probably played a part in the struggles in the running game as well. I thought Jerome Ford, like you touched on, the um, the whiff on the pass pro and, and the fumble. I mean, I think he looked a little bit nervous. But, you know, he'll get over that. Um, wanted to see a little bit more of Killian Robinson myself. Hopefully we'll get to see that this Saturday. But, um no, I mean, that, that offense has all the components that it needs to be one of the most explosive offenses in, in college football. And, you know, they just got to get it together and be more consistent. And then I thought very shrewd, and it was good to see because when you've got a freak of nature, two years ago they had a freak in the stands to watch them beat Florida State, and that was Jalen Waddell. This year they've got the best tight end in the country, Eric Gilbert from Marietta, Georgia. And uh, you get some help with Tennessee just absolutely uh, just shitting the bed and just playing <laughs> terrible football. But also Alabama, Miller Forrestal, he's not a dynamic player, but he has a touchdown catch, two catches for 33 yards. Major Tennyson also catching a touchdown. So getting the tight ends involved, I thought, with him in the stands was, uh, was I thought, a very shrewd move by the coaching staff and good to see. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think Forrestal for sure, you know, has enough athleticism to, uh, he's certainly not going to be Irv Smith, but, um, you know, I think he's got a chance to be a, you know, a Colin Peak type guy. Um, you could even split him out wide and use him as a jumbo wide receiver and, you know, in certain settings. Um, and, and, you know, certainly I think that, uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian can go sit down with any of these, um, you know, elite tight end prospects that they're still chasing around. And, you know, he's got a track record with those guys, um, you know, going all the way back to his days with, with the USC Trojans in the early 2000s. So um, I'm sure it was impressive. And, uh, you know, having him in the stands and, and I'm sure seeing the, uh, you know, the way that Tennessee game unfolded could, couldn't have left a good taste in his mouth for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, but they were able to get the, the tight end involved. Uh, and then get touches to several running backs. And like we said, I think the timing with the running game will be better. Uh, I think uh, they had the one unfortunate fumble, but they didn't turn the football over, you know, other than that. And so I think Alabama was able to shake that off. In other words, there's just enough for Coach Saban to raise hell 
and keep the team focused because I mean it wasn't it wasn't a perfect opener by any stretch, but it was still one over an opponent. And William, I'll say this: I watched that Louisville game last year and watching Coach Cutcliffe's squad. I thought Duke looked like a better football team than that Louisville team did that Alabama played a year ago. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be interested to see if they've gotten any better at all tonight versus Notre Dame because that was just a abysmal football team last year. Um, certainly Alabama contributed to that. But, um, you know, give us kind of a, um, you know, a little bit of an insight as to, you know, whether Notre Dame's going to make any noise this year as well because – you, you don't rec- you don't recruit your way out of that kind of mess at a school like Louisville in one recruiting cycle. So I'm going to be interested to see because uh, you know if you, if you watched their season last year, um, it didn't stop versus Alabama. That that thing that train wreck continued all the way through the, the end of the season for Louisville last year. So, um, but yeah, I agree. Certainly, I think Duke was a more sound uh, football team for this season opener than Louisville was last year for Alabama for sure. Well, I can give you a quick update late in the first quarter, William. Scott Satterfield from Appalachian State has taken over Louisville, and they lead Notre Dame 14 to 7. Oh, my God. 14 to what? 7. Okay. <laughs> Juwan Pass has got two rushing touchdowns already. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. That's uh, I remember uh, – um, you know, hitting the rewind button on the recruiting cycle, I remember how pissed off a lot of Alabama fans were. I guess that's four years ago now when uh, Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin decided to take Jalen Hurts over Jawan Pass. And, uh, you know, I think if you watch, you know, what Jalen did in his career at Alabama and what he did last night for Oklahoma, that was certainly the right decision. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was tremendous last night. Kudos to Jalen. I mean, you know, I'm certainly not rooting for Oklahoma, but I don't wish him any ill will. Good first chapter for him. Uh, and he's going to continue to try to build what they're doing at Oklahoma. I still think they got a lot of questions on defense. I didn't think they looked that much better. Uh, you know, I think uh, – but I, but I do know Houston can score points, but still have some questions, though, long-term about that Oklahoma defense. No and you know, and you know something, Drew, that, that was what I was really paying attention to last night in that game. It doesn't surprise me at all that, you know, Lincoln Riley and Jalen Hurts, you know, collaborated to put up a bunch of points on Houston. But – you know, as a, especially as a young head coach, man, if he can just get – you know, Oklahoma's never really had a problem. You know, if you go back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they were like a, a factory producing defensive tackles and defensive ends out there to the NFL. And, you know, it just doesn't seem like it would take much of a personnel move. You know, I don't even know where this new defensive coordinator came from or what his name is, but – They've got some players on defense, especially some edge rushers and guys that can play in space. You know, if Lincoln Riley can just get a C plus, B minus defensive coordinator in a defense and put that on the field with what they can produce points wise, I mean, he could dominate the Big 12 for a long time. Yeah, he could. The new defensive coordinator is Alex Grinch. He was at uh, he was with Mike Leach at Washington State a couple years ago, and then last year he worked for Urban Meyer as co-DC and defensive coordinator. I mean, that's so right, that's defense, was, yeah. defensive backs coach. But we'll see what he can do. It is going to take, a, I think, a year or two though to get some better personnel and to just be better scheme wise. And I will update it. Notre Dame just ran through Louisville like a hot knife through butter, so it's going to be a track meet. It's fourteen to fourteen late in the uh, first quarter, uh, but that's a high scoring game early. But uh, as far as with that Alabama, William, I thought uh, – I think I think uh, they ended up playing double-digit 
freshmen in the game. I want to say about 15 of them played. Uh, were you surprised at all uh, that Talia Tungavaloa played just a little bit near the end? I really wasn't because they've got four games to play with. Uh, you know, and uh, they're going to and they're going to they're going to, you know, be uh, strategic with how they do it. But it's going to be tougher to play Talia in some of the SEC games. I just uh, because I think they're going to need two or more. But I did think it was interesting that yet again, the streak continues to did not play into the fourth quarter. Yeah, no. And I mean, I think that was probably the, the length that he was in there was probably dictated by the slow start in the first half. But I, I like the, you know, the, the coaching decision to play Talia. Um, you know, if, in fact, he's going to be the third quarterback. I mean, we, we've seen this before as Alabama fans, um, you know, how you can lose the first two guys real easily. Um, you know, God forbid, I hope I don't ever see that happen again at Alabama, but it certainly has before. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that, that they, they need to do that. They need to get them comfortable. You know, certainly they'll have a decision to make after the four games are up. But, uh you know, with the new rule, um, which I think is probably the best rule that the idiots at the NCAA have, have ever come up with, um, you know, I think you got to give those guys, you know, those four games or those reps and, uh, you know, see what they can do. Because a lot of times, you know, you don't really know what somebody can or can't do until you see them out there, you know, against another opponent. And, uh you know, I think it's certainly a situation that Alabama doesn't hope that they find themselves in. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a nice moment to, you know, see the, you know, the reaction of, of Tua when, when he went out there and got his first play in time. And, um, you know, it's, that's a nice moment for the Tungalaboa family in general. And um, I, I like seeing it. I think it's good for college football, not just for Talia, but for all the young guys to get out there you know, in their four games that they get, the, the freebies, as I like to call them, and uh, you have an opportunity to play. I think it's a, you know, a, a big, big um, coaching bonus for, for a lot of these college head coaches. You know, you know, you can still redshirt somebody, but there's a big difference in being able to go out there, albeit it's garbage mop-up duty, but there's still a, 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 a much, much, easier coaching and, and psychological aspect here. Um, you know, when you can tell somebody when you're recruiting them, hey, you're going to get to play in four games. Now, you may just be four games, but I think that's a, a lot – makes it a lot easier psychologically to keep a true freshman, you know, invested in the program, invested in the season, and, you know, gives them something to shoot for. And then I thought Mac Jones looked much better, you know, in this game than he did last season. I thought he looked calmer. Uh, I thought he uh, at least threw the ball pretty well. Four out of five. I mean, he didn't take any deep shots, really, William, but I thought he was solid uh, in uh, backing up, too. I thought he did a nice job continuing to at least move the chains. No, absolutely. You know, I think that, that it's um, obvious that I think he's taken, albeit it might be baby steps, I think he has taken the – you know, the, the positive step forward in the next stage of his development. Um, I think we saw a little bit of that at the end of last season, um, you know, when he came in and mop-up duty. Um, you know, he had some moments. And uh, it, was, it was good to see it. It looks like he's comfortable, um, you know, in the offense. I think you can, you know, you can kind of tell. Um, you know, he's certainly not a uh, – "Quote unquote dual threat quarterback, but you know he. I, I would say he's comparable to Patrick Nix of, of Auburn. I mean, I think he's a guy that certainly 
um, in, in an emergency situation if he did have to become the starter. Um, certainly no defensive coordinator is going to game plan around him being a run threat. But, you know, he's not a statue back there in the pocket. If it collapses, he does have the ability to extend plays. And you saw that Saturday. Yeah, you did, no doubt about it. And he had a big uh, conversion on a fourth and three where Najee Harris did a nice job picking up the back and he slipped through the hole and moved the chains. And I thought that was significant, giving some confidence. Uh, no question about that. And I think we'll see a lot of him and probably even Talia Tungavaloa on Saturday. They're playing New Mexico State, a team that's a, a struggling program. They got thumped on Saturday. And so we're going to – the storyline of, uh, you know, of this next game, William, is going to be uh, to keep everybody healthy and just to see how many young players get a chance to see action. I'm sorry, Drew, one more time. Uh, I said, well, the big, the, the big thing for me with this next game is going to be against uh, New Mexico State. It's going to be to continue to, of course, get the cohesion of the offensive line going. And then you're just going to see a lot of young players play. You want to come out injury-free, and you're going to see a lot of guys use some of that four-game window to, to, to take a long look at them and see if they get better and just to see how they play. I, I, that, that's going to be interesting. There's going to be a lot of young players on the field on Saturday, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, just, you know, piggybacking on what we were talking about with the quarterback situation earlier. I mean, you know, in a perfect world, um, you know, maybe you give two of the first series of the of the third quarter and, and put him on ice and let Mac Jones have, uh, you know, the rest of the third quarter and maybe the first five minutes of the, of the fourth quarter. Obviously, I think Alabama is going to be on offense quite a bit. Uh, on Saturday and, you know, let Talia get some more reps and, you know, a lot of those young guys. Um, like you said, I hope we get to see more faces. Uh, I mean, it was great getting to see, uh, you know, Jordan Battle back there playing center field and getting, you know, imagine that in your first collegiate game, you go out there and mop up duty and get an interception. So um, I want to see some more of those young DBs, you know, more Jordan Battle, more Brandon Turnage, more Scooby Carter. Um, you know, I, I, here's a guy that we didn't really talk about, um, but I thought he looked very comfortable, you know, kind of exactly what we had heard about him in fall camp. I thought Trevon Diggs yeah. um, kind of played within the system and did what he's good at doing and, and didn't try and, you know, take a lot of chances or risks outside of his responsibilities and, and turned in a nice performance too. Yeah, he had a nice interception, no doubt about it. And then he played really well, I thought. I thought the communication looked really good in the secondary. And, I mean, this is a New Mexico State team. that They lost their first game on the road 58-7 to to Washington State. So, it's going to be kind of name your score for Alabama, no doubt about it. So, uh, this is going to be one of those games where it's going to be more about Alabama than it is the opponent. They have to stay focused and come out and execute and stay healthy. And then we, we'll probably be lucky to see Tua Tungvaloa for a half. And then, as William said, you might see Mac Jones for a quarter, perhaps even Talia Tungvaloa, and you'll get a chance to see, uh, as William said, uh, more, much more Keelan Robinson. He didn't play a whole lot. I, I thought he would play more in the first quarter on Saturday. It was probably just a, a, a case of, you know, Ford's a redshirt freshman. He at least played some last year. They had not seen Keelan in a game, so they didn't want to put him in a bind, so they waited to play him later in the contest. But you, sure, you should definitely see a lot of both of them. And then some more of these young offensive linemen as well. I think there's no question about it that, 
you know, they're going to continue to rep Evan Neal, but then you're going to, you would have seen a lot of F your, but he's out now. And so even a guy like a, a Tanner Bowles, you're going to see Tommy Brown, who got some playing time on Saturday. He's just going to be, just bring your program because you're going to see a lot of young guys. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what, you know, these, these type of games are for is to, you know, give those guys, some, you know, a taste of, of game action and, you know, continue to build the depth that you established in fall camp. And, um, you know, like, like you saw with those two linebacker spots, all these other backups that were out there Saturday, um, some of them playing for the first time in, in college football, you know, they're, you know, they're one high ankle sprain or, or a tweaked shoulder from having to do the same things that, you know, Christian Harris and Shane Lee were having to do. So it's always good to see those guys getting meaningful reps. Well, and I want to I want to bring Thomas into the conversation. Thomas is uh, we're wrapping it up. We're going to spend the, uh, the last few minutes uh, on this mat on this Duke result, and then we really, there's really not a lot of analysis to do on New Mexico State because they're an overmatched opponent. Well, what were your initial thoughts on the performance overall for Alabama? Well, you have to feel pretty good about the linebacker play against Duke. Uh, you know, outside of a couple of jump balls duke did functionally nothing on offense for the vast majority of the day even as alabama started to really rotate guys towards the back half of the game and you know that bodes well i mean it'll be interesting we'll have a much better idea of alabama's first real test to see how texas a&m matches up with clemson this upcoming weekend you know we're going to get a pretty good picture of what to expect in that game because it, for all of you know the back and forth about Clemson, Alabama and Clemson are going to play you pretty similarly because of the talent levels at, cer- at certain key positions. But you know, anyway, I don't want to talk about that more than there. But it, you know, I thought that was good. The offensive line remains a work in progress. You know, Deontay Brown's suspension is kind of that. That sort of was a, was one of the big things that I noticed because the offensive line, particularly the interior, is kind of playing the shuffle game. So that's one of those things. But again, something that's been said on bands and other programs is that Kyle flood has gotten fairly rave reviews as an offensive line coach so far. So I have faith he's going to be able to figure that out. Uh, So overall, you know, Alabama did what Alabama does in an opening weekend. They came out, they covered against an opponent that was at the end overmatched. And now we're moving on down the road talking about New Mexico state. Or if it if it's whatever it is, when the line opened up at fifty four and a half, <laughs> I pretty much burst out laughing. Like, and if you really and if you really wanted to back that up, the total is supposed to be sixty five, which means it would be a shock if New Mexico State scored a touchdown. Like, like that that's how overmatched this team is coming in to Bryant Denny Stadium this upcoming weekend. So. It kind of feels like what we might have thought would happen at the Duke game, but it's almost going to assure that happened this time. If you've got any eligibility left, even if you don't have any eligibility left and can fit into a pair of shoulder pads, you're probably going to get to see game time because of the four-game redshirt rule. So, you know, overall, I, I have to concur with the previous sentiment that it was one of those really good wins for Nick Saban in that, the team showed out. They had a pretty good game, but it was by no means a perfect game. So Nick Saban could chew on that and make it better and move on. And we'll see 
if by some miracle the Crimson Tide manages to cover the uh, insanely high score, you know, the insanely high number, I actually don't think they will, just because that, that number is so ludicrous, I can't even wrap my head around. But Alabama will win by six touchdowns, and we'll move on down the road. Well, yeah, and the biggest thing is just to be healthy. And as we said, they came out relatively unscathed, besides the middle your knee injury for – uh, which will be yeah, one to two weeks for the backup offensive lineman who can play either guard spot and center. And then, uh, you know, Xavier McKinney's got a little hand situation, but I don't think it's serious from what I've been told. Uh, but uh, but what, I, what I found interesting to kind of, as we spend our last few minutes, is recruiting is taking uh, an interesting turn. William, I, I know uh, I found this out just about an hour ago, but – I know there's been so much conversation and angst about Zachary Evans from going to North Shore and the number one back in the country. And Alabama fans want him to come to Alabama. But, you know, the word has been that Kirby Smart has made big-time inroads there. And then we find out today, after he gets shut down on ESPN, they lose to Katy, Texas, that he's been suspended three games for a physical confrontation with his coach. I know where I stand on this. They don't need any more Vandarius Cowens. I would cut ties and move on. I wouldn't mess with this kid. I would take uh, Kyle Edwards and continue to recruit maybe Jace McClellan from Alito that's committed to Oklahoma. And I would let Zach Evans be either Kirby Smart or Jimbo Fisher's problem. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like he might fit in better over in Athens, Georgia, with all the <laughs> uh, off-season problems that they had and player departures over there. Um, yep. Yeah, I think that's something that, that you know, that Kirby's starting to realize. It's it's a hell of a lot easier to uh, recruit and build a roster versus trying to manage one once you get all those egos on campus. Um, and I, I had no idea about that until you just told us. And, uh, you, know, um, I, you know, it's a very, I guess, tenuous situation because of what Alabama could possibly lose at the running back spot. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and it's always, you know, with the number of hits those guys take. I mean, you saw what happened with Trey Sanders this summer. It'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see how Nick Saban chooses to handle that. Um, you know, my my initial reaction um, would be I don't think Nick Saban is going to just immediately close the door. Um, I've never seen him close the door, especially off of someone. Um, I guess we'll find out just how badly he wants um, the young man, because he does tend to, like you saw with Vandarius Cowan, um, and the list goes on and on. Um, he, he does tend to side with the player, yeah, um, and, and you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, and he's got this, you know, belief in his soul that you know once he gets them on campus, um, that that you see those situations work out uh, more often than not, much like it did with Reuben Foster and a lot of other guys. So I don't think we've seen the last of, uh, you know, this running back by any stretch. I'll be surprised if this is a, you know, he, you know, he could decide to go to Georgia and that's that. But um, I still think Alabama and Texas A&M are in that thing a lot thicker than a lot of other people. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here. Looks like September the 9th could be the next piece of good news coming up with uh, Joel Williams from Baton Rouge. And, uh, and about, but, as he's a, a, a combo DB that Alabama really likes, and I think the tide leads on. But as we're wrapping it up, 
I wanted to discuss a little bit the, some of the other results around the league. We already talked about South Carolina choking against North Carolina. How much concern, and I know you know him well, he was there during your era at Alabama, should there be for Jeremy Pruitt with that just abomination of a performance against Georgia State? Um, you know, I, I don't – I'm probably not going to hit the panic button as much as a lot of other people have. I think it certainly is going to raise a lot of questions. It's going to put a lot of, uh, you know, media pressure on Jeremy. Um, you know, it, it certainly shines a bright light on just how far behind they are, a lot of the other top-tier teams in the league on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are kidding themselves that, that you know, that they think that Phil Fulmer is going to march in in a week or two and replace Jeremy. Um, you know, if, if he does something like that, then, you know, good luck finding the next guy. And, you know, on the other side of the fence, don't don't expect me to feel sorry for Jeremy Pruitt. If it does happen, I'd, I'd be more than happy to get my pink slip with a $30 million price tag attached to it. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt he's getting paid a lot of money over $4 million a year. And I think what they people always uh, focus on how quickly Coach Saban turned around Alabama in two years, and even an Urban Meyer situation at Ohio State. But, you don't. It took Dabo Sweeney a few years to get Clemson back, and he had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, valleys before he started hitting the peaks. And so the, the I know Tennessee fans don't want to hear this, and I can't stand them. I hope they lose, you know, 35 games in a row to Alabama. But if you're ever going to get back, you have to finally show some patience and allow a guy like Jeremy Pruitt to recruit out of this mess because it's certainly not all his fault that, this, the, that the offensive and defensive line recruiting or as far as personnel right now, or as bad as as it is. Yeah, and, and you know that's certainly something that's you know very difficult to you know recruit your way out of. I mean, it, it tends to take certainly you can um, typically factor in quicker on the defensive line than the offensive line, and you know that was a um, that was one of the things why I was so questionable about you know Oregon, uh, you know being able to handle Auburn's defensive line and winning that football game Saturday night when you look over there and see a guy that was never able to crack the two-deep roster at Alabama in Dallas Warmack, you know, starting at offensive guard for, you know, the top team in the Pac-12. I mean, it just goes to show you how how much different um, the lines of scrimmage are at a school like Alabama versus a lot of these other teams, big teams, you know, around the country. Yeah, and then – about that, that's a good segue. Your good friend Mario Cristobal, I thought they let a golden opportunity slip through their fingers, man. They were dominating that game. It probably should have been 35-3. to In some ways, it reminded me of the Iron Bowl in 2010. They had It looked like to me they had the better football team, but they just didn't execute in the second half. No, and, and you know, I, I've – was really surprised with the success that they had running the football in the first half on that front seven of Auburn's. Um, you know, the to me, I mean, it, it doesn't look like a much different team um, for Auburn than what we saw the last couple of years. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, it raises a lot of questions if they weren't able to establish the running game, um, you know, against a, a front seven like Oregon's, how are they going to fare against the, you know, the top four or five, defenses in the SEC you know they don't have a game changer at running back they're trying to you know do this thing with a 
a true freshman quarterback who's really lacking in game changer wide receivers. Um, you know, he's kind of a, a tweener, so to speak, from, you know, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, he's a dual-threat guy, but he's not Nick Marshall or Cam Newton on these zone read plays. Um, you know, I thought he did a, an okay job um, for his first college football game. But, man, it's uh, looks to me like a lot of the same from Gus Malzahn on the sideline over there losing his mind before the ball snapped. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I, mean, I thought that, you know, he was 13 to 31 for, you know, over 100 yards and, and then that big touchdown. But he struggled. He had, he had a couple of picks. They're going to have to be a lot better down the road because I'm like you. I don't really know how good Oregon is. I do think Herbert's talented. But defensively, they were able, for the most part, for most much of the game to control the line of scrimmage. But Oregon just couldn't put the game away offensively. And that has to be very disappointing uh, to Mario Cristobal, no doubt. And with all these results from the SEC East, William, I'm not sure who's going to be able to challenge, uh, you know, Kirby Smart in the in the uh, Eastern Division. It looks like to me almost to be a one-team division again. Yeah, and, you know, I, I wonder, you know, if, if they're um... – wide receiver core hadn't have been decimated by injuries, um, you know, if that game wouldn't have had a different outcome. Um, you know, I think they had four or five guys that missed that game due to injury. You know, I think Mario still has another year to, you know, kind of put his, um, you know, stamp on that program. I mean, you heard the, you know, the announcers talk over and over again about how he's wanting a physical program and, um you know, sometimes you can only do so much with what you have on hand. And um, I still think he's a couple of recruiting cycles away from being a national contender. Um, you know, certainly I think the Oregon fan base, as long as he can win eight or nine ball games and go to a bowl for the next couple of years, they're going to be patient with him. And um, it looks like he's off to another fast start in recruiting this year. But, um, you know, I think he's done a good job of, of kind of writing that ship and, um, starting to attract national talent there from all over the country. And, uh, you know, the uh, I didn't see him. Maybe you did, Drew. I know a lot of people thought he was a guy that was going to, um, you know, come in and, you know, blast people from day one. But did Thibodeau even play the other night? I was listening to the broadcast, William. I did not hear his name called once. I, I mean, I did my best to look for him. I was, you know, at the lake and kind of in and out on the grill and coming back in. I mean, I probably watched the more of the second half than I did the first half. And if he did play like you, I never heard his name called. But um, interesting that, that he wasn't able to get on the field in his first game at Oregon. And a lot of people thought, you know, he was going to, you know, come in and change the way the Jack linebacker position was played at Alabama. So it's certainly something to think about. Yeah, it really is. And we – uh, we didn't see a lot of some of the other younger players at Alabama. I didn't see a lot of King Makuta in his first game. Hopefully we'll see him more this week against New Mexico State. I still want to see, you know, the impact he can make. Uh, and, and maybe even an Ale Keho, an inside linebacker, Jalen Moody, some of these younger guys. Ho hopefully we'll have a chance to see them play some snaps. And Alabama put this game away early. But I guess we're wrapping it up, William. What what are you going to be the things that you're focusing on this week uh, for the, the, their game against an overmatched opponent like New Mexico State? You know, I think first and foremost, you don't want to get you know any 
you know, first team guys hurt, you know, you want to get them in there, let them do their damage and, you know, put the backups in. Um, but, you know, certainly I think from an offensive standpoint, you know, you want to see them, you know, get a little bit more consistent um, in the running game. Um, you know, you, on defense, you know, on the defense, I would just say, you know, wash, rinse, and repeat. I mean, I thought they did a really good job versus Duke. You want to see them, you know, build on that, maybe get a chance to play the younger guys quicker um, to give them more reps. You know, certainly they've got a depth situation at inside linebacker. So, you know, getting Benton and Moody and Cahoe in there and getting them comfortable um, maybe, at, you know, earlier in the game would be a, you know, certainly I think a goal of the staff and, you know, maybe getting to see the, you know, the, the second team D line and DBs in there a little bit quicker. You know, certainly this isn't a juggernaut offense that they're going to be facing, but, you know, it still is the next team on the schedule. And, you know, you just want to see, uh, you know, them build on their performance on Saturday and, you know, eliminate some of the miscues and mistakes that they had. No question about it. Uh, I think that's going to be the biggest key is just to clean things up. Cut, I mean, they had eight penalties. You want to cut the penalties out. You want to execute. You want to put this opponent away and then and then uh, start focusing on your SEC opener at South Carolina. And, William, that game is taking on a different tone now due to the foot injury of Jake Bentley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly they're going to have to go with a true freshman quarterback. Um, you know, a lot of coaching changes took place there in the offseason. Um, you know, they've been, despite Will Muschamp being a renowned defensive coordinator, their defense has kind of been a um, disappointment, I know, in his tenure there so far. So, um, you know, they're they're really having to, you know, face an uphill battle and overcome some adversity um, early on in the season, you know, to get through the September schedule until Bentley can come back and be 100%. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I part of, uh, you know, Forgive me if I mispronounce it, but I think it's Ryan Heklinski. Uh He's going to probably be the starter going forward. He's a young freshman from California. Of course, his brother tragically took his own life at Washington State, his older brother. Uh, so, well, we again, thoughts and prayers. I know that had to be a very difficult situation, but he looks like he is going to be the guy until Bentley can come back or if Bentley decides to redshirt. I don't know. I don't, he never did. He came in early, and they played him as a true freshman after he enrolled early, a year early. So Bentley does have a red shirt year. It will be interesting to see how that is, uh, uh, you know, going, going forward, how that's, uh, you know, approached by Will Muschamp and staff. They lose, uh, you know, to, as we said, to uh, North Carolina and Charlotte this past week. They've got a brutal schedule. And so, uh, you know, coming into uh, basically to me, that's like bringing a, a, a knife to a gunfight against Alabama. It's going to be a very difficult situation for Will Muschamp and their football team, no doubt about it. But Alabama first has to take care of the New Mexico State Aggies, no question about it. Well, William, we always appreciate the time. Thank you for joining us on this uh, Labor Day night, on this Monday. Uh, we always uh, in, enjoy breaking down Alabama football for our listeners at BAMS Radio. We'll be coming to you again next week to break down what we see from the perspective of New Mexico State, talk about hopefully a lot of young players getting in, maybe even have some more recruiting tidbits. We will see. Uh, as the really the, the storyline this week was, of course, Eric Gilbert being impressed by Alabama using two tight ends, getting two of them in the end zone, and then the Zachary Evans suspension for four, for uh, for the next three games for a physical confrontation with his coach. Very interesting how recruiting can start to develop. But 
uh, for everyone that uh, continues to you know give us a listen. We really appreciate it. For Thomas the Wizard Watts, he does a great job behind the curtain. For William Redfish Barger, everybody have a great rest of your Labor Day night. Good night, and we'll talk to you next week, and roll tide.